Welcome back, everybody, to the Luke Beasley Show. Before we jump into today's news, let me just remind you to be subscribed to the podcast, drop a five-star rating and some sort of review. That would be greatly appreciated. Now let's jump in. We talked about previously on uh, maybe a week ago, a couple weeks ago, the fact that Joe Manchin had seemed to completely sink Biden's hopes of doing really anything, but specifically he said he was not going to support, or a report came out revealing that he was not going to get on board with any big climate bill. Obviously, Biden had originally proposed kind of at the beginning of his presidency, his Build Back Better plan, which was designed to both implement social programs and also address climate change and uh, infrastructure stuff, kind of a very broad, expansive package. And Joe Manchin, throughout the process, along with Kirsten Sinema, have pretty much single-handedly or dual-handedly with the two of them blocked this entire process and prevented really, really good policies from getting implemented. And it's been super upsetting to watch. And so, Another kind of nail was put into that coffin uh, whenever Joe Manchin said, hey, even the smaller stuff that we were debating over, I, we gave up a long time ago on Build Back Better, but even the small, I no longer support. That was what the report was saying about how he was feeling behind closed doors, and, and it was allegedly upsetting the Biden administration. So I don't know what changed from a couple weeks ago to now, uh, whether maybe Joe Manchin got a lot of backlash, realized that even though he doesn't care so much about the Democratic Party doing good in elections, he doesn't want them to get completely swamped. I don't know why he kind of changed his tune on this, but reporting has come out, come out and uh, Manchin has come out saying that he is willing to support a, a good climate bill. It's not amazing, but a bill that's designed to lower carbon emissions and, and do some other things. So we'll look at the specifics, but overall, I'm excited. It's definitely not enough. It's definitely not at all close to uh, Build Back Better. Not a, You can't even compare it to Build Back Better. All of the awesome social programs and stuff kind of have been given up on. But trying to address climate change is good. And so going from us thinking we were going to get absolutely nothing to this is great. Now, it's just proposed. Manchin has just said he's going to support it. He could pull out at any moment. And we haven't yet heard from Cinema, So she, she could still block. But assuming this actually goes through, it would be uh, definitely a step in the correct direction. So with that being said, let's go ahead and read about it from the guardian is that correct yeah the guardian joe manchin the centrist west virginia senator and coal company owner who has repeatedly thwarted joe biden's attempts to pass legislation to tackle the climate crisis shocked washington on wednesday by saying he will support a bill aimed at cutting planet heating emissions i just want to say mad respect to the guardian for in this first line saying the centrist west virginia senator and coal company owner because that is something that is not mentioned in mainstream media enough and it is very relevant when talking about someone who's blocking action that would affect the oil and gas industry if it's someone who owns an oil company, which I think if you're in Congress, you shouldn't have any companies that you still own at all or pretty much as minimal investment in any different industries as humanly possible so that their only focus is getting the best results for their constituents. But that is a discussion for another day. Continuing on, the $369 billion package has been touted by jubilant Democrats as the largest climate bill ever in the United States and even the world. It still faces obstacles before passing, but the support of Manchin, a crucial swing vote in an evenly divided U.S. Senate, appears to augur well for its chances. Uh, so what's in the legislation? All right. So we're going to break down what's in this bill. Cause I do think a lot of times, uh, one of the things I try to do on my show, at least is when these things come up, at least give a skim through of what's actually in the bill. Because a lot of times all this discussed is the price tag and maybe a few major things in a bill. So then it's kind of a weird reality TV show conversation about Joe Manchin and Chris Cinema and Joe Biden. And they're having meetings about 
this dollar amount and now they're bringing it down to this dollar amount and not really talking about the importance of what's in the bill uh, and how that would either affect people's lives or affect uh, the planet, which in turn would, of course, affect people's lives. Okay, so the basics of the bill. The climate spending is part of a broader package known as the Inflation Reduction Act that totals $739 billion. The majority of this bill, however, is dedicated to confronting the climate crisis with $369 billion dedicated to the crisis over the next 10 years. So I'll say, from a strategy point of view, I like that this is a part of a or um, an act that is titled the Inflation Reduction Act, because then when talking about your accomplishment, you get to say to the people who are concerned with climate change, we invested in this, that, and the other to address climate change through this particular piece of legislation. To people who are less concerned, uh, you can you know, strike their ears positively by saying we passed the Inflation Reduction Act, um, especially if that ends up actually having, a f- having an effect on inflation. Continu- continuing on, it's part of a reconciliation budget that can only be passed with all 50 Democratic votes in the Senate due to unified... Rep- yes. So, of course, Republicans aren't going to be on board with this. Uh, so, we have to get all 50 Democratic votes. And that's why Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin are always getting all of the attention because they're the ones who usually block this stuff up. The bulk of the bill allows for large tax credits for clean energy, such as solar and wind power, to allow such projects to go ahead on a grand scale. States and utilities will also get $30 billion to help the transition to renewable zero carbon electricity. This is awesome. I think uh, we talk about a lot and it looks like they're, you know, doing this. One of the things we did with um, oil and gas is a lot of subsidies. To this day, we still give subsidies. And for a long time, people have been advocating for, listen, okay, maybe you don't ban the production of certain types of energy, uh, namely oil and gas, but how about you at least stop incentivizing that and incentivize heavily green energy? Because yes, eventually the markets are going to get there because it's going to be an efficient and uh, kind of the way of the future type energy. And so uh, capitalism will get there, but it's not going fast enough. So you need to give as uh, the government a little nudge to the markets, a little nudge to these industries to speed up and move forward and encourage them uh, to do so. So I, I like that. A new $27 billion uh, clean energy technology accelerator will be created to help advance renewable technology. This is awesome. $3 billion will be given to the U.S. Postal Service to electrify electrify its fleet of trucks, and there will be a new program to drive down leaks of methane, a potent greenhouse gas from oil and gas drilling operations. That's good. You would be surprised how much energy just the U.S. Postal Service uses. A further $20 billion will be spent to promote climate-friendly agricultural practices and another $5 billion to make American forests better prepared for the wildfires that are increasingly threaten them due to global heating. So, I know these are all just kind of numbers being thrown at you. A total, uh, multiple hundred billion dollar package investing in climate change. Is it enough? No, we're looking at trillions that we should be investing over the next decade, but we're going from zero. I was expecting zero based on the things, uh, we were seeing in the political dynamics, uh, in Washington. So getting hundreds of billions of dollars invested in really good options like this is important. I do want to know though, and this is something you'll always hear uh, whenever proposals come out, is what are the specifics? What does it mean to give $20 billion uh, to promote climate-friendly agriculture practices? What does that mean? How is it implemented? That makes a big difference. Continuing on, the legislation includes a tax credit worth up to $7,500 for people who want to buy a new electric car. This is great, which has until now largely been the uh, preserve of wealthier Americans. So that's important. If you want to get the average American driving electric, you have to do a few things. The first is we want the uh, producers of these electric cars 
cars to, um, uh, you know, advance the technology within the car so that it's closer to the user friendliness of a gas powered car. So you can drive further, longer battery life, stuff like that. Um, but also just purchasing an electric vehicle right now is more expensive on average than purchasing a gas powered. But if you factor in $7,500, they can go towards that. That's going to make a big difference with who feels like they can buy it. Uh, there's also a $9 billion scheme focused on low income households to electrify home appliances and make dwellings more efficient, uh, more energy efficient Further tax credits spread out over the next decade will make it easier to buy heat pumps, rooftop solar and water heaters. Disadvantages communities uh, that suffer the brunt of fossil fuel pollution have also been recognized with $60 billion dedicated to environmental justice projects across the U.S. Another important thing, again, how does this specifically get implemented is super important, uh, but it would be a gazillion hour uh, video if we went through all of that. Uh, but them trying to address the problem that is caused where the biggest negative effect uh, of climate change generally is going to hit lower income people um, is is a good thing that they're addressing that for sure. So getting to the last part I want to look at from this article, when talking about how significant this piece of legislation is, obviously they were talking about in dollar amount, it's you know, very historic, but of course you have to compare the scale of something to the moment that you're in and the moment we're in calls for something much larger. So just saying it's historic and massive kind of is oversimplifying, but again, still good. Despite its imperfections, the bill is expected by both its authors and independent and analysts. This is humongous to allow the U S to cut its emissions by 40%, 40% by 2030 based on, uh, 2005 levels. This brings the U.S. close to Biden's goal of slashing emissions in half this decade, which scientists have said is uh, imperative if the world is to avoid a catastrophic climate change. So there's so much more to talk about as it kind of continues to get negotiated and goes through the process. We'll stay updated on it. But overall, a good move. If we can, if this is true, that the actions uh, taken by this bill would cut carbon emissions by 40 percent, uh, that would be really, really good. That would make a massive difference. Um and when looking at the specifics of how this is being funded, it is getting paid for uh, through, you know, top marginal tax rate heightens and things that are affecting wealthier Americans. Uh, but we're not, you know, deficit spending, which is a big deal for people like Manchin uh, not wanting to do that. So it's kind of a win on multiple fronts. And I'm excited to see it. I know a lot of progressives will respond like, Ugh, this is not at all what we should have gotten, which I agree with and understand. And this moment calls for something so much bigger. But in the context of how corrupt and how uh, obstructionist Manchin has been, seeing him come out and publicly agree to this package is is a positive move. And I think the only way we're going to stay hopeful and optimistic about the future is to recognize when we get wins, even if they're not as big as we'd like them to be. The Biden administration has announced that they offered the Russian uh, government a prisoner exchange. So obviously, I'm sure you know what this means, but what happens between two governments when one government has, you know, is holding captive a citizen of the other country and the same for uh, that country, they'll exchange either prisoner uh, to get them back to their home countries. But a lot of controversy has come up with this announcement. And to kind of give you the, without any names or details, the broad summary of why is the person that we now have in captivity, who is Russian, is a much bigger criminal offender and a much bigger threat than the people they have in cap captivity. Now, the lives of the two people 
uh, that the Russian government is holding are so important, so valuable, and we want to get them back, of course. But what people are upset about um, and, and debating over, so I'll be interested to hear where you guys land on this, is do we want to set a precedent where you can just, on kind of phony charges, arrest an American citizen, knowing that by doing that, you now have the option of trading uh, a citizen who didn't do anything horrible, what isn't this big master criminal or a big spy or something, and then trade it for someone who is a big master criminal who really was threatening the United States. So it could set a scary precedent, and that's kind of what's being debated, because of course, the families and all of us want these two Americans who, again, they were not doing some crazy crimes. They were not a threat to Russia. Uh, but the Russian government kind of, according to the United States government, got them on phony charges or at least went after them for the purpose of probably doing something like this, having some leverage against the United States. So we'll read about the specifics, but that's kind of the overview. So let's dive in. Victor Bout, one of the world's most notorious arms dealers, could be the key to a possible deal with Moscow to win the freedom of basketball star Brittany Griner and another American, Paul uh, Whelan, according to an exclusive CNN report. So my base level, you know, gut response to this is positive. I'm super glad that this WNBA star and Paul Whelan are able, and I might be pronouncing the names incorrectly, but are able to come home and be safe and they were not getting enough attention beforehand. So that's amazing. I just kind of wanted to give you the context of why this is such a groundbreaking announcement. Uh, continuing on, a substantial offer was made to Moscow in June, according to three sources, a president and President Joe Biden personally signed off on it. To put it mildly, this is a stunning development. The Kremlin has yet to respond, but if the swap goes ahead, it could transform perceptions of how the U.S. deals with governments who detain its citizens overseas. This is kind of what I was alluding to. Making American travelers more tempting targets. It would also be an act of great humanity by Biden to bring Americans home from hellish Russian prisons. So it's kind of that there's two aspects. You're setting a precedent where now Russian travelers who you could pretend did some crime and detain them for that are perfect kind of opportunities from the perspective of some of these more authoritarian governments to now have leverage over the United States because we'll make trades that aren't equal in the level of criminal on either side or, or, or anywhere close to it. But on the other end, Biden's possibly going to successfully get these two people home safe. So tough. <laughs> okay. Uh, continuing. This is one of those problems with no right answer that, that leaders face. Freeing prisoner like Bout is a risk. He's not only close to Russian intelligence, but could pose a future threat. He was convicted in 2011 of conspiracy to kill Americans, among other charges. A high profile swap like this might also send a message to hostile governments and bandits around the world that the U.S. will cut deals to get people home, which is a thing that is done, but I get the point. Um, so, uh, skipping forward, this particular individual that the Russian government wants back, massive arms dealer, conspiracy to kill Americans. So, in contrast, the Americans that we're trying to get back is, quote, WNBA star Griner, who is on trail Mas Moscow, says she unintentionally took cannabis into Russia. That's what she's there for. She's not some threat to the Russian government. She unintentionally took cannabis into Russia. Whelan was arrested, so this is the other person, in 2018 and accused of spying. Washington contends that neither case has any merit and is highly critical of what it sees as uh, the politicized Russian uh, justice system. So, as you can see, and I would not put it past Putin or um, the Russian government generally to completely fake or way hyperbolize the charges and the actions that they are charging these individuals on, but 
but it sounds like the WNBA star did have weed, but unintentionally brought it in and they pretended like she's some big uh, weed trafficker or something. And now using that small of a charge to hold her and use her as a pawn in kind of this game. So I'm glad these two Americans are, or at least have a better opportunity of getting home now because the Biden administration has proposed this. Not clear on if it's going to go through yet. Interesting to see what the repercussions are, are on this uh, with the precedent that it, set, that it sets. Um, and also interesting because there has not been a significant communication between the American government and the Russian government since the war in Ukraine started. And so this will be the first time that there's more communication between the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, and um, their, you know, equivalent in Russia. So all around interesting situation. I'm hoping the Americans do get home safe, but definitely understand why this is such a big deal and so controversial. So there's a race that is garnering a lot of attention um, in Arizona for the governor position. And the reason is because the candidate that is Trump backed is going against a candidate that is being endorsed by what we now know is the more establishment, slightly more moderate uh, branch of the Republican Party, people like Mike Pence. And we've seen this in a couple races now where Trump will endorse someone and Pence will endorse the other person. And it's a little bit what the media is calling it is proxy races. So it's the battle between the Pence brand of Republicanism and the Trump brand. The main difference between the two is are you willing to recognize <laughs> that the 2020 election wasn't stolen? Uh, and that's kind of where the big dividing line is now between establishment and Trumpsters. Anyways, so it's it's between the top front runners are Carrie Lake, who is the Trump-backed person, and Karen Taylor Robson. Karen Robson. So Karen Robson is endorsed by Pence. And we watched the debate on stream uh, a couple weeks ago uh, between all of the people in the field, but Carrie Lake and uh, Karen Robson. And it's so interesting watching the dynamic between an individual who's full, you know, nutty, unhinged, election was stolen, and someone who's still trying to win voters who believe that, but is also trying to come off as a little bit more legitimate for the more modern ones, moderate ones. Um, and that's Karen Robson. So we're going to look at a few different things here. The first is seeing Carrie Lake's response to Mike Pence endorsing her opponent. Reading from Mediate, Republican candidate for governor of Arizona, Carrie Lake, pulled no punches in recent days, attacking former Vice President Mike Pence, who has endorsed her opponent in the GOP primary. Lake, whose campaign has focused on pushing former President Donald Trump's uh, debunked allegations of voter fraud in the 2020 presidential election, has also begun casting doubt on the legitimacy of August 2nd's GOP primary. <laughs> Okay, so, quote, I'm telling you right now, this is Carrie Lake, anybody trying to steal this, first of all, we're already detecting some stealing going on, but you guys know I'm a fighter, right? So this is something we saw in the debate too, but she's she's saying it in rallies and, and all of these things. It is now the norm among whatever we want to call them, the MAGA part of the Republican Party to just claim that elections are being stolen all the time, okay? Either they win and it was fine, or... They win and it was attempted to be stolen, but they still won, but they would have won by more if it wasn't for that. Or they lost and it was stolen and they really won. Um, <laughs> it's like, and they'll, before the election even happens, say, as she just did here, quote, uh, we're detecting some stealing going on. I don't know what that means, but we're kind of detecting some stealing. Uh, and then more from her, quote, we're not going to let them steal an election. 
she says okay so they're trying to steal it like they did in 2020 from her perspective but we're not gonna let them so now she's perfectly prepped that if she loses uh it was stolen if she wins she's just such a good fighter that she fought through their attempts to steal it so this is one of the you know the first interesting dynamic that i was speaking about with these republican primaries post 2020 i think 2020 and everything that happened because of that election is going to be a big defining moment in the republican party's kind of history because this is when the split happens and this is when you see the landscape really change where the biggest litmus test to be a MAGA republican is will you scream about the election being stolen but then because so much of the Republican Party is MAGA, um, even more moderate Republicans don't want to clearly say the election wasn't stolen. So they just kind of uh, avoid it, as we're about to watch right here with Karen Taylor Robson, who is the more reasonable, if you want to say that, who's endorsed by Pence. Let's talk election integrity. Your opponent says she wouldn't have certified the election if she were governor, as Governor Ducey did. Would you have certified the election? Well, I'm a lawyer. I'm a trained lawyer. So the question is, as governor, you have a responsibility to certify the election results of your state. So even though she's asking in terms of certification, the question is, do you think the election was stolen? That's the question. Um, so would you have stood in the way of allowing the voices of your voters to be heard by citing these fraudulent claims? Um, these fake fraud claims. And I can't sit here and tell you without having been presented all the evidence, but there has been investigation after investigation. And are there things that need to be fixed? Absolutely. We sh we've got to, it, we have to require voter ID and increase penalties for ballot harvesting, but I'm looking forward. I'm looking at 2022 and doing everything I can to keep Arizona's governor's office in Republican hands. And that requires us to look forward and, and articulate a vision for the future of this state. So this is the line that I hear from, um, if you watch any Republican primary debate, a congressional debate, a gubernatorial debate, senatorial, um, what you'll notice is when the question of the 2020 election comes up, because it always does, because that's the, the biggest defining feature among Republicans now, there'll always be someone on stage who says, the election was absolutely stolen, and blah, 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 Donald Trump is actually, should be the president. And maybe you'll have multiple of those, but then you'll almost always have someone who goes, listen, I either, like she said, I wasn't faced with the, or I wasn't shown all of the evidence, so I can't speak to that. If I was in the room, then I would be able to have a good answer for you. But the thing you always hear is, listen, I'm concerned with the next election. Let's look forward and not back, which let's let, let her continue. And then I'll make the point I'm about to make. Um, cause it makes more sense within the context of her full response. And that's what I've been focused on. Well, it's important looking forward, of course, but looking forward is Donald Trump very likely running for president again. So this is an entirely pertinent question. Would you have certified the election as governor? Again, like I said, I wasn't sitting there, as Governor Ducey was, presented with all the evidence. I have to assume, based on his looking at the evidence, that he did what but, he I mean, believed was you've seen was the evidence. Right. You've seen the result My of audits. You've seen, you've seen, we've all seen the information coming out of Arizona. So good, good response um, from the host here. That's such a cop-out by saying, listen, I wasn't presented with it. The governor doesn't get a big report on... Um, you know, was this election stolen that's a gazillion times more expansive than what we have access to with the audits that were done in Arizona, all of the uh, independent 
analysis been analysis that has been done all of the court cases that have happened we have access to that information it's publicly available if there was enough ev- evidence of voter fraud to make any significant any effect at all on the election results that would be available to us this far out that would have been uncovered presented in some court case and we would be able to see it that's how our process uh, that's how our systems are set up um and that's what we would be dealing with right now so her pretending like well i'm not the governor so i can't get the secret little file on if this election was stolen that is is nonsense he endorsed there, you. there are investigations there are investigations that are ongoing and i tell everybody when asked this question around the state of arizona my focus is on looking forward i am not going to get stuck looking in the rearview mirror i am focused on looking forward and making sure we do everything we can to elect a republican governor in Arizona to nominate a Republican that can win in November. That is my focus. So silly, silly, silly. So here's the point I want to make earlier. The answer of I want to look forward and not backwards in response to someone asking you, do you think the last presidential election was stolen? Was stolen. Ballots were flipped. Buckets of... (laughs) suitcases of ballots were shipped in with biden's name on it um you know different governments were hacking into our voting systems and flipping the 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 names that were voted for and all those things it the reason why it's so silly to say listen i don't know if that happened or not but i'm just looking forward is because if that did happen you shouldn't look forward Holy smokes, if that actually happened in America, no, that's all we should be talking about. An election was stolen. People's uh, votes were completely, you know, their their ability to voice their voice in our democratic process was completely revoked because it was flipped to the opposite candidate, um, even though that wasn't the will of the people. No, why would we move? Why would we? Let's just think about the next election. Well, what if that's stolen, right? So... If you did believe the election was stolen, you shouldn't want to go forward. If you had questions about it, why would you want to move forward? That's humongous. That would be the biggest story ever, always, for the rest of time, uh, in terms of political stories. So the only reason you would just want to move forward is because you know it was a free and fair election. You know that these claims are lies, but you don't have the uh, the courage or integrity to go out and say that. Because you know if you do, you'll lose enough support from republicans where you won't be able to win against someone like carrie lake so weird situation i hope that she wins because she's better than carrie lake but she's also bad um and it also is an interesting dynamic to see trump versus pence in kind of a proxy war with who they're endorsing in these races one american news the one american news network i think is the full name uh has pretty much gotten taken off of the cable news programs or to cable news services that they were previously on so at&t uh and then now recently verizon bye-bye and of course in their world this is a big deal now most of their viewership is going to be stripped away they're going to have to go all online or find another provider and they were very much propped up by at&t at the beginning because AT&T wanted some right-wing um, balance or something like that. But OAN, if you're not familiar, has gotten, not gotten, is completely unhinged, even farther right than Fox News, way more dishonest. Uh, they got much more prominence during the 2020 election because Fox News called the election for Biden because Biden won. Um, 
but they kept pretending like the election hadn't gone that way. And so that people who didn't like Fox News for calling the election for Biden went over to places like Newsmax and OAN. But why am I talking about this? So we have a clip to look at of a host on OAN addressing the fact that they're being dropped by Verizon. And in it, it goes instantly from her saying that Verizon is lying about the um, variables that led to them being dropped um, by Verizon to her saying that this is a communist government overtake or something like that. And in prepping for the show, I saw this clip and tweeted out something about, by the way, Luke PP is on Twitter, if you want to follow me, the fact that people really don't understand the distinction between government censorship and private companies enforcing their terms of service or private companies making decisions about who they want to carry on their platform or whatever. And the point that I made was you can be against, for example, Twitter censoring people for spreading this information. You can be against that and have a really good argument. You can be super kind of open speech all the time on these platforms is the best policy. That's fine. But what always happens is people don't say that. People don't say, listen, I think that Twitter should be an open platform. So I get mad whenever they, <clears throat> they censor certain types of speech. No. Instead, people always say, this is a violation of free speech. This is a violation of the First Amendment. This is against our Constitution. This is the government cracking down on um, free speech. And it's like, but it's Twitter. Twitter's not the government. So we're about to, let's just watch this clip and we'll continue the conversation. Uh, so she's responding to Verizon dropping them. Yes. For those of you unaware, Verizon is claiming that the Herring Network couldn't come to a monetary agreement. According to them, we demanded more money and refused to negotiate on a deal, which is hilarious because I happen to know that the Herring's actually offered a heavily discounted rate to keep us locked in and it was Verizon that turned us down. The fact that these telecom companies have the ability to invoke this. How she does this flip so quickly, I don't know. Watch. She literally says, these telecom companies, blah, 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 blah. And she's talking about Verizon. And then she'll instantly flip it over to the government somehow. Radical authoritarian power should absolutely concern everyone, regardless of where you stand politically. And I don't care if this is redundant because everyone has their own awakening process, critical mass. But if we continue to allow this to happen, we will all, all of us, left, right, blue, red, black, white, gay, straight, the list goes on and on, all of us, we will all find ourselves walking down of... I don't know, we'll let her finish, but I don't know if she's reading off a teleprompter or what. Her cadence is super weird. It's like not giving her all of the lines um, as she should be getting them. Or she's trying to present it like she's reading off a teleprompter, but it's just notes. I don't know. This is a weird case. Very slippery slope that will ultimately lead to communism. Just ask any legal immigrant. Well, did you see that? Communism refers to something relating to the way that the government is set up and the way that the government operates. She just said, I guess the tyranny and authoritarianism, which, okay, uh, of the big telecom <laughs> is, or tele, or whatever, the cable company, you know, who she's talking about, the companies that are now dropping them, um, that tyranny is a slippery slope to communism. <laughs> to communism, as in the form of government. But the government doesn't have anything to do with what just happened to you who's fled communism and has done the work to come to our country. This is exactly how a government takeover begins. Did you hear that? This is how a government takeover begins. But she's talking about Verizon 
deciding not to pay her company, you know, the company she works for, to put something on their platform. They have, you know, complete decision-making power over who they platform on um, their service. And if you love freedom, if you love the ability to speak your mind, to believe in whatever it is you believe in, you love that you can marry whoever you want to marry, or for heaven's sake, even have the ability to identify as whatever furry creature you've made up or whatever pronoun you've... Con <laughs> okay, first of all, you said if you love the ability to marry whoever you want to marry, I'm pretty sure you're not pro-gay marriage, guh. <laughs> like, you probably don't think that. You want to take away those freedoms, probably. Convince yourself is your reality. Well, then we all must come together now and put an end to this. I know it's hard for you leftists to wrap your brains around this fact, but if they can cancel us conservatives, then they will inevitably come for you. Do you notice that, like, do you, are y'all getting what I mean about the cadence of her speaking? It's just really weird, weird and segmented and not what I usually hear from people reading off teleprompters. Like, I get reading off teleprompters kind of difficult, but it's more like she's reading one line and then pausing and then, I don't know. What. It's not going to stop here. This is just the beginning. I truly don't care what your political beliefs are because I genuinely believe everyone is entitled to a difference of opinion. In fact, I encourage diverse and independent thought. But it is absolutely crucial that for once we defy the powers that be, that we all come together, set aside our differences in a unified effort so that we can recognize the horrifying danger that lies ahead. If you're watching this and you're laughing and scoffing because you think that you're <laughs> to what's coming, you just wait. Enjoy your freedoms while you still got them. But for anyone that's with me and is willing to contribute to fighting this beast, here is what you need to do. Okay. So then she goes to how they support. And what she says is call Verizon. Okay. What was the first thing she listed off and then I've turned it off. Call Verizon. But you just said that this is a government takeover. This is how a government, uh, you know, push for communism starts. Why are we calling Verizon? Shouldn't we be calling the government? <laughs> I mean, it's fascinating. And you hear this every single time that, um, like a conservative gets canceled off of, I shouldn't say that. Whenever a conservative gets banned from Twitter, they say, this is the beginning of communism. This is, uh, a violation of the first amendment. This is showing that, you know, our government is headed towards authoritarianism. It has nothing to do with the government. That's a private company. Take it up with that private company. What are you talking about? Yes, they have the power to choose who they want to have on their platform, especially in the case of Verizon. You're saying they're obligated to agree to pay you a bunch of money to have your uh, broadcast be shown on their platform. Why? Why is that? That's their obligation. And if they don't do that, then <laughs> we're in a communist country. You know what? I like that. CNN, if you don't give me a show on CNN, you are trying to cancel my voice. And you, somehow along with the government, are bringing us to communism. It's so weird. No one's obligated. No private company is obligated to give you a massive voice on their platform. Um, and it seems like a lot of conservatives don't understand the distinction between the private and you know the private sector and the public. Yes, if the government had a you know free speech platform and they were censoring people, that now you're getting into free speech territory. Now you're getting into First Amendment. But we're talking about Twitter. We're talking about Verizon. We're talking about private companies. Anyways, you get the point. I know this isn't hard for y'all to understand, but you just see time and time again, people go, oh my God, I'm getting canceled. And that's why we're becoming communist. No, maybe the the society is becoming too censorial. Uh, maybe companies are too touchy with who they censor, all that type of stuff. That's fair criticism for sure. But pretending like this is our government becoming communism when it has nothing to do with the government is whack.
That concludes today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating and a review, and I'll see you tomorrow.